My name is Jared O'Brien, and this is the Christians Engaging Culture podcast. Christians Engaging Culture exists to equip the members of St. Thomas's to give faithful answers in everyday cultural conversations and to turn those conversations to the gospel. This week is a special episode to follow on from our module on evangelism. John Mason held some evangelism training for Christians Engaging Culture at St. Thomas's. It was well attended and well received, and we wanted to share it with a wider audience, and so we will be listening to the first half of the training today. John Mason led churches in Australia before planting Christ Church Anglican Church in New York City. He is the chairman of the Anglican Connection in the USA. He regularly visits American churches to train them in evangelism. When he's home in Sydney, he and his wife Judy are members of St. Thomas's. It was a real privilege to have him train us in evangelism, and we hope you find it helpful. This is the first of two modules. And the overall theme is uh, God's passion and the unfinished task. And our first module this morning, looking at the theme of God's word and work. But let's start by thinking about attitudes, phrases you hear um, around the traps about Christianity, about religion in general. And I've popped on the inside page there a number of suggestions of what I hear in America, and I've actually just got back from South Africa where I was preaching in a church in Umschlange, which is just north of uh, Durban, and I find exactly the same kinds of attitudes prevailing there as well. So we hear the um, phrases like, or statements like, religion is for the weak-minded, religion is poisonous, religion is the problem, all religions are the same, I'm open-minded, Christians are extreme and fundamentalist, Christians are boring, or church is boring, religion seems so self-righteous, everyone's right in their own kind of way, I'm not the religious sort, I hate the rules and regulations of, uh, or restrictions of Christianity, you've got your ideas, I've got mine, in any case, when I die, if there is a God, I'm sure he'll accept me. I've led a good life. And then another line that keeps on popping up these days is, Christians are all bigots. Um, Am I on the same uh, track as everybody else here? Uh, Do you want to add anything more? Don't don't be afraid to shout. Yes, intolerance, absolutely. Hypocrites, yes. So, and homophobes. Oh, yes. So, I think we're all getting the scene. Um, we're living in a society that uh, is much more vocal in its outspokenness and its uh, commentary about religion and Christianity in general. Come with me with those thoughts in mind to what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. Paul begins. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that hides, that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me come back to those words that Paul writes in verse 1. We do not lose heart. And if you want, if uh, you forget everything else of what we're going to be talking about this morning, I'd love you to love to think that you'll have those words etched in your mind. Because what's our reaction to all those voices around us today? I'm finding everywhere I go, and I visit now quite a range of cities, beginning in New York City, uh, right across America, and I'm finding that Christians are telling me that they're fearful of speaking up. They know they ought to be speaking up, but they're silenced by what people might say about them, say to them, and certainly what they might generate on social media. So, remember Paul's words, we do not lose heart. Those thoughts in mind, let me take you to two questions that Paul opens up for us in this little section I've just read out. First, why don't people believe? Second, how do people come to believe? So first, um, why don't people believe? Just have a look at verses 3 and 4. And someone might like to read them out for us so that I'm not just a talking head out the front here um, in front of a camera. Don't all shout at once. Verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So let's think about those words in particular. The God of this age is blinding their eyes. Now, many see this as a reference to the power of evil, Satan. And uh, he's the one who's seen to be responsible for blinding people to the truth of Jesus. And that's certainly consistent uh, with what Jesus is saying in a parable that we read in Luke chapter 8 the parable of the soul or the parable of the soils, uh, where the devil is uh, understood to be taking away the seed of God's word uh, from people's hearts before it's got time to take root and grow. But when we look at that parable carefully, we see there are three other reasons why the word of God does not grow and bear fruit in people's lives. So I think with that thought in mind, we need to come back and have another look at Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. And it seems to me that there's another way of looking at this and understanding it that makes better sense of what Paul is saying here. This understands the phrase, the God of this age, to be what is technically turned, and I, and I apologise for 
technicalities on a Sunday morning at this time of the day, but I'm going to bring it in because it's hugely important. The technical phrase is an appositional phrase where one idea sits alongside another, one explaining the other. So following this reading of this uh, phrase here, the God of this age means the God who consists of this age. In other words, people make this age their God. And that is what blinds them. Now, there are other examples of what is technically called an appositional genitive um, we find in the New Testament. In fact, there's one down in verse 6 where we read the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, which, if we follow this line of interpretation, means the light which consists in the knowledge of the glory of God. So to come back to verse 4, if we take the phrase the God of this age, in this possessive, appositional sense, then Paul is saying that it is an idolatrous preoccupation with material things of this world that makes people blind to the spiritual realities of the next. So people who lightly dismiss the reality and significance of Jesus Christ are in fact being blinded by the fact that they are so absorbed in this world and in themselves that they fail to see that there is more to life than, I guess, the things around us, that there's much more to life than all of our parts put together. So people's eyes are so fixed on the present that they're blind to the larger realities of existence and life. Now, this line of interpretation, let me say, is quite consistent with the overall direction of the Bible. That though people who do not believe are victims of ignorance, the bottom line is that it's a willful ignorance. People choose to be blinded by the things of this world. So it's because people have chosen to worship what is less than God, that God has given them over to a darkened mind. And so, yes, the devil finds it easy to steal the word of God from their hearts. Uh, Malcolm Muggridge, whose name you may recall, was um, his one-time editor of the English Punch magazine. He observed that men and women are trapped in the tiny dark dungeon of their ego so imprisoned, so enslaved, we are cut off from God and from the light of his love. Uh, Dr. Ashley Null, one of the leading authorities on Thomas Cramner, who was Archbishop of Canterbury during the reign of Henry VIII, summarised Cramner's understanding of human nature this way. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, the mind justifies. So when we tease this out, we see that the mind does not direct the will, as we all like to think it does. 
because we all like to think that we're very rational, highly intelligent beings, able to make most uh, the, the best decisions in the world. Well, Nala well, uh, is saying that Cramner understood the scriptures. The mind does not direct the will. The mind is actually captive to what the will wants, and the will in turn is in fact captive to what the heart wants. You see why our society has got gender issues so messed up? To just play out one example. Ashley Null comments that Cramner understood that the trouble with human nature is that we are born with a heart that loves ourselves over and above everything else in the world, especially God. In a word, we are born slaves to the lust of self-gratification. And that's why, if left to ourselves, we'll always love those things that make us feel good about ourselves, even as we depart more and more from God and his ways. Are you still with me? Yes. Questions, comments, or complaints? Yes. Well, as we'll see in a moment, what in fact Christi the Christian gospel does, we're actually needing to address minds and hearts and then in turn ask God to bring about the change of direction to our will. Yeah. Well, we're seeing here why men and women choose unbelief. The gospel is not a mystery, as so often people might want to tell us. And they want to tell us sometimes that it's a mystery because God, in fact, has, himself has kept it a mystery. No, that's not the case at all. It's because people have chosen not to understand it and therefore will not understand it. Um, if you look at the opening chapter of uh, John's Gospel and the first 18 verses, John introduces us to the Word of God. The Word, he says, who is God, come in the flesh. And then he also tells us that this Word of God is the light of the world, the light which gives life. Well, if I can paraphrase those opening section of uh, opening words of John's Gospel, you might say that the light of God keeps on blazing away for everyone to see, but men and women prefer to live in the darkness of their own point of view. It's a pretty depressing scene, isn't it? And so I hope you're beginning to ask yourself, so how does anyone begin to come to believe? Well, that brings us to verses 5 and 6. I hope you don't mind a little Bible exposition. It's, it's what I was trained to do, teach the Bible. And uh, so anywhere I go and people ask me to address a particular subject, I always go back to the Bible because I find the answers are there in the Bible itself. So verses 5 and 6. 
we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see here, and I really don't need to say much more, do I? We see in these verses how people do come to believe. Verse 5, Paul is telling us what he does. He speaks the gospel. And, he's not, and his ministry is not about himself. That's huge. Hugely important in a day and age of uh, celebrities. And not least in the United States where I spend a fair bit of my time. And you have all of these great uh, celebrities, even as Christian leaders. No, the ministry is not about you. The ministry is about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are nothing but slaves and servants. To enable you to see the truth. Uh, I was in London uh, three weeks ago. And uh, I had um, the privilege um, to attend a funeral service for Richard Bewes, a former rector of All Souls Langham Place. He was one of John Stott's successors there. And I'd got to know Richard uh, over the years. We were in New York City. And um, one of the uh, little illustrations that came up to, as a marker for Richard Bewes' attitude to life and his ministry was very sharply focused upon or brought out and exemplified so brilliantly in this way. Billy Graham had set up what is known as a Lausanne conference in Switzerland. There were 10,000 delegates from all around the world. Billy Graham got sick and he and Richard Bewes were great friends. And so Billy threw the baton to Richard to give the final talk. Richard worked very hard um, on that final talk. Plans had been made for everyone to get their flights home around the world, so everything was on a very tight schedule uh, for that last day. The musicians were given four minutes the musicians took 22 minutes. <laughs> Richard Bewes' time for his final talk was gone because everyone had to go. The man who was telling us about Richard said, I was so angry because I'd actually worked with Richard in his final you know, preparation. He said it was a brilliant brilliant talk and he said I went outside this huge auditorium and there I saw Richard sitting down having a cup of tea when I heard that I thought how English <laughs> but then this man went to uh, Richard and he said you must be so angry and his response was no I'm not. We are here to serve. 
That's our job. We are here to serve. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 5. We are here to serve. And friends, that's what we're all called upon to be doing in the work of the gospel. We are here to serve. So what does Paul say he does? He says, I just keep on talking about Jesus. I tell people who he is, what he's done, why he's done it. I explain that Jesus is not just a great teacher or miracle worker, but God walking in our shoes. I point out that Jesus is much more than a prophet, that he is the prophet who fully and finally reveals God to us because, in fact, he is God in the flesh. And Paul says, I explain the negative news that we men and women are fatally flawed, far beyond what we ever think, but that through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has offered us an opportunity of a restoration of relationship with him. He's willing to declare an amnesty and his love for us is far greater than anything that we ever dreamt. And Paul says, and I'm teasing out as you can see, verse 5, as I do this again and again, God through his spirit takes the veil from people's hearts and enables them to see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. So here we're getting into verse 6. We see there that our speaking, our talking to others, our family, our friends, must be accompanied by something that we can't do. The miracle of God shining the light of his truth in people's hearts and minds. Let's look at his words again. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now the best way to understand Paul's imagery here at the beginning of that uh, verse where he says, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is to go right back to Genesis chapter 1. God in his work of creation says what? Let there be light. light. Absolutely. And Paul is saying here that God not only acted in creation, in what was a miracle of creation, he is now still at work in in a miracle of recreation, bringing the light of his truth to shine in the in the lives of men and women. So Paul is saying that turning from unbelief to belief involves an act of divine initiative that is as awesome and as powerful as the act of creation. And if you think about it for a moment, what is the greatest of all miracles? In fact, you might like at some point to go back and have a look at John chapter 14 and verse 12. Where, Paul, where Jesus says to his disciples, greater works than these, in other words, the things that I've been doing, are you going to be doing? And the only way I can fully understand what he's meaning there is to look at the whole sweep of John's gospel and see what Jesus was appointing his followers to do 
and that is the work of declaring the gospel. When you think about it, conversion is the greatest of all miracles today. Not people getting better from sickness. Conversion is the greatest of all miracles. So God says to our hearts, let there be light, and there is light. And from that moment, a new world begins within us. Now, notice that Paul uses the word, our hearts. I think that's a personal testimony of what God, in fact, did to him. Remember what we read in Acts chapter 8? Paul is traveling from Jerusalem to, to, uh, down to, uh, up to uh, Damascus, and he's got a letter from the Jewish authorities to go and identify, arrest, imprison, and even put to death anyone who is calling Jesus the Messiah, the Christ. What happens on that road? He is hit with a great bright light that physically blinds him, that spiritually opens his eyes. And Paul has that vision. He calls out, who are you, Lord? And he has the response, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, 99.999% of uh, the world is not going to have that kind of vision of Jesus. Great light, as it were, shining from heaven. God had a unique task for Paul. But nevertheless, what happened to Paul is true for anyone who comes to declare Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. The light of God's truth shines in our lives. Now, sadly, our translations don't give us the full impact of Paul's words here. What he actually says is not God makes light that illumines the heart of a man and woman, but rather God is the light. So it's God himself who has shone in our hearts. So what we see in the face of Jesus is not some gift of spiritual insight, it's the, vis it's the vision of deity. So then, to come back to the line of verse 1, why don't we lose heart? Why didn't Paul lose heart? Well, he is telling us that his ministry of preaching comes from God. It's announcing God's mercy that springs from God's heart of mercy. And given the flow of Paul's thought from the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 into chapter 4, it is God's word and secondly, the power of God's spirit at work that opens our eyes to Christ. So God's Spirit turns on the light so that we see Jesus. So the outcome of preaching, where God is at work, is changed hearts and lives. Uh, if I can quote Ashley Null again on Thomas Cramner, Cramner's theology is always a religion of the heart. In his view, if our hearts change, so will our wills and our attitudes. So where is all of this taking this morning? 
Well, it's taking us to a clearer understanding, I suggest, of humanity's dilemma, humanity's lostness, humanity's self-preoccupation, the brokenness of relationship with God, because we choose to worship the God of this age, the things of this world. We choose to worship ourselves rather than worship God. So what's going to bring about the change? Two things must happen. The word, the word of God and the work of God. And that's why I've entitled this module God's Word and Work. His word needs to be declared and his work of shining his truth into people's hearts and minds must be taking place. So what's one of our big logical takeaways from all of this? What's our, going to be our starting point as we're looking for opportunities to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me answer my own question. Prayer. We are so totally dependent upon God. I put a little quote um, that I use everywhere I go. Revival is accompanied by bold, persistent prayer. If we have a passion for the lost, we'll pray that God, whose nature is to be merciful, will through his spirit open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears, and soften high hearts, turning hearts towards their true home in the Lord Jesus Christ. Recent stats show that 20% of the non-church-going population in the Western world, be it here in Australia, in the United States, or in the United Kingdom, 20% of the non-church-going population would actually respond positively to an invitation to go to church from a friend. That percentage actually increases if we've been doing something else, and that is giving our testimony to our friend or member of the family. Given our testimony, I suggest, in less than two minutes. So here I touch on some homework that I'm going to leave with you between now and next week. And that is, take a clean sheet of paper, put a margin down the left-hand side, put the number zero at the top and your current age at the bottom, and then think of three transitional points in your life that brought you to a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then write a paragraph about those three points. That'll fill up the page. That's five minutes of speaking. Too long. <laughs> you need to get it back to half a page. I did this in New York with one of my home groups. And uh, some smart aleck said, John, you're on. I've got you on the time. <laughs> I came in in one minute 52 seconds or something like that. <laughs> but you will find, surprisingly, that God gives windows of opportunity to be able to talk about your faith 
what it is that you believe. And the focus is not to be on yourself, but to be upon the Lord that has brought the transformation in your life. Do it in less than two minutes, and then next week we're going to have some two-minute spots. No, one-minute, 50-second spots um, as, we, as we begin. Yes, question. Oh, I was just telling you it's time. You're yeah. telling me it's time. <laughs> I know it's gone more than one minute, 50, 58 seconds or whatever. Um, so, friends, there we are. Um, two thoughts about what it is that uh, one, why it is that people don't believe. Second, the necess necessary work of God, um, God's word and God's work, and why in turn we do not lose heart and the part that we can play in getting the good news of God out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Christians Engaging Culture. Make sure you discuss this material after church and discipleship groups so we can sharpen one another as a church community. Our plan is to start a new module on freedom of religion in August. We won't be updating the website until then, but I'll continue to drop on helpful podcasts per week on different topics to help you engage our culture with the good news of Jesus. One thing you need to know about is that as part of our module on freedom of religion, we'll be hosting Martin Isles, director of the Australian Christian Lobby, for dinner and an open forum on Sunday, the August, on Sunday, August 25th from 6.30pm. You can find out more information at the coming events page of our website, but please put that in your diary. Until next week, remember the words of Charles Spurgeon, if Christ be anything, he must be everything.